Hey guys, long time no talk, sorry about that, but this is Mag, and this is also You Don't Wanna Know. So I just want to apologize again for not recording or putting anything out this month. I am not going to make any excuses because there is, quote, and it is losers make excuses, winners make adjustments, and that's what I live by. So no excuses, just promises that I will be better and do better. So happy Halloween, guys. We made it. Unfortunately, that means October is almost gone. And that makes me so sad because I haven't done enough spooky stuff. But you know what? Spooky season never dies in your heart. So remember that. Don't let it die in your heart. So a couple of things I want to talk about. First off, I want to say that a family friend, a friend of a family, there we go, a friend of a family came out on Peacock and I have been watching it and I think it is just, I don't want to say it's fantastic or anything like that because it's a horrible story, but I feel like the directors did a really, really good job at keeping true to the story and not like glamorizing the crime. There's one thing that I am a little worried about, and it is the casting choice of the predator, um, B. Broberg, and it's not really anyone's fault. It's just me wishing that they would have chosen or done like makeup to make him creepy because he it's a handsome guy and most actors are handsome, which makes sense. So it is a handsome man, but ugh, it just I feel like it's going to be like the whole Ted Bundy movie where it's like extremely wicked, evil, vile, disgusting, garbage, whatever the title of that movie is, where it was Zac Efron and everyone loves Zac Efron. So everyone was like, oh my gosh, Ted Bundy's innocent. He couldn't have done it. Just look at him. So I'm a little worried that's going to happen, but fingers crossed that we gained a little bit more knowledge and people won't be stupid. But I feel like they're following this story so closely. There was one thing where I don't think was like super accurate, but you know what? I wasn't a part of their story and I'm pretty sure Jan is watching this whole thing come to play so I think that she's like just making sure things are going into place so that's my hope and I hope it's a real story because if you've been listening to this podcast you know I hate so much when they over dramatize things and they adjust the stories so it's more interesting because if you're going to base something off of a true life event make it true pisses me off to the nth degree. Speaking of nth degree, um, this is like a little turn, but I did not win my contest. Big sad, but that's okay because it was consuming my time and everyone hated me because I was texting them constantly. But thank you so much if you voted. That's so kind of you, but unfortunately it's a no-go. But you know what? We're all winners deep down inside. Barf. That was so cheesy. But like I said, it's no big deal. All right, next order of business. I saw both the new Halloween movie, Halloween Ends, and also Smile. So here am I, (laughs) that didn't make any sense. Here I am explaining, um, wow, where am I going with this? I just like lost that completely. Let me start over. 
I'm just going to talk to you about how I feel about it. I'm not going to ruin it. No spoilers. I would never do that to anyone because I've been told that I actually do spoil movies a lot. So I am trying to be better. So Halloween ends. I'm going to actually talk about all three. So there's Halloween, Halloween Forever, or Halloween Kills, and then Halloween Ends. I absolutely loved Halloween. And it's not the original Halloween. It's the new like revamp where everyone's old, essentially. So I was like cheering everyone on. I was like, yeah, let's go. Like, get him the whole time in the first movie. The second movie felt weird to me because Halloween the whole like franchise has always been more of like a serial killer movie and recently a lot of scary movies kind of diverted to like supernatural like whatever spooky ghosts and i just appreciate movies that can be scary without that element well i got a little disappointed when that movie came out because i felt like it was trying to say michael was like a super supernatural being and i even think that jamie lee curtis said that Sorry, I had to burp. So just side note, I drink these bubbler waters, which are freaking fantastic. 10 out of 10 recommend. So good, but they make me so burpy. So every podcast I'm drinking it and I burp so much. (laughs) So I have to pause all the time. So sorry, just wanted to explain that. Bubblers, get them, fantastic. Um, So I think Jamie Lee Curtis had actually said that he's like a supernatural being or some crap like that. And I was like, ugh not what I was looking for but it wasn't bad it was like way better than most of the scary movies well then Halloween ends I didn't go into it with like super high hopes but (laughs) the first like chunk of it I was like whoa whoa that was intense so I really liked that and then people have been posting a lot of memes about what happens in the middle of it and I'm trying not to spoil it and they crack me up because I was literally thinking the same thing too. Like, how do they get around? How do they transport themselves? So I, I don't think I'm spoiling anything, but it just, it cracks me up thinking about it. But then Jamie Lee Curtis being the BA woman she is really just kicked him in the teeth and he, that didn't actually happen, but like with the way that they made the story. So I just, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. But alas, Now I have to talk about Smile. So I had been seeing videos of people like crying, coming out of Smile, and I was like, oh my gosh, am I gonna be able to handle this? Like, this just seems so scary. Like, everyone's so scared of it. And I got super pumped at the same time because I'm like, you know what? I haven't gotten that scared at a movie theater in a long time. So I was kind of, like I said, pumped about it. I go in, I was really tired that day too. So I was like, you know what? Scary movie's gonna keep me awake. Luckily, my boyfriend got soda, and normally we don't drink soda. So it's caffeine, you know, keep me awake. Oh my gosh. I don't recommend it. I really don't. Like, I wouldn't. If I could tell myself, like, how I feel afterwards, like, if I future me told past me, like, not a great movie, I probably wouldn't see it again. I'd probably go back and save myself the time. It wasn't that scary. There were a couple like jump scares, but they were really cheap. Um, The storyline was inevitable, honestly, in my opinion, like Thanos, inevitable. And it really reminded me of the It Follows movie, which It Follows is a fantastic movie. And I feel like they didn't really use too many cheap scares. It was, it, It Follows was a great movie. I'm pretty sure it had a pretty low budget. 
this movie just like kind of copied it in my opinion and I don't know I just I didn't like it you know it wasn't good so I don't recommend it so that's my feelings on the movies that came out um, and then finally something spooky happened to me a couple days ago so I have a donut on my tire and I always think there's something wrong with my car and people are like looking at me or flashing their lights like hey you got something weird with your car because I'm just like paranoid so that's like kind of always in the back of my mind but it was really weird I was driving and it was it was like early either really really late at night or really really early in the morning like I woke up early I wouldn't stay up until it was morning because I'm not crazy um and I was driving down this long stretch of road it wasn't like a back road but it wasn't like a super popular road and it's 55 I'm going like I'm not going super fast but I'm not like going like 60 um and all of a sudden the car behind me I think it just stopped it was so strange it was following my speed and I think it was getting annoyed with me or at least I thought it was because I wasn't going 60 I was going like 58 or whatever and all of a sudden it just starts to get far, further and further away from me and I'm just like I don't think it's moving at all and I just kept looking at it and looking at it and it was just the strangest thing to me well then I get over a hill and I stop seeing its headlights and then I want to say eight seconds after that a different car is behind me like not it's far further it's like going over the hill and I can see its headlights but it was like a different color headlights so it was a different car and I was like, okay, maybe they're turning. They didn't have their blinker on and they never turned because I watched. It was like a good amount of time where I could see their headlights, at least a minute. So it was just really strange to me. And it made me think of like when in a movie there's like um, this thing or person that's not actually human, it's like humanoid and it's like pretending to be a human. Well, then all of a sudden it malfunctions and it just freezes, you know? And you're like, what's going on? That's what it made me think of. So that was just weird. Then also, I have a friend that her driveway is completely cornfield and it's like a half mile long. And every time I drive through it, I get freaked out. And I've been reading about cryptids recently because they like spook me out to no end. And every time I drive through that cornfield, I always think that like this humanoid cryptid is going to be like running with me. Um, along my car and I have like this creepy image of their face and how they're like trying to be human but they're just not quite making it running along my car with like a blank expression and I get so freaked out and then one night I was working super late for my family and I, I was bringing my dad's truck home and I was like oh my gosh what if they followed me because I went to my friend's house to shower because I didn't want to make my family up and I'm pulling into my parents place and I like get out of my car and I'm like I can just like picture the worst scenario where like that thing that was running along my car or at least like the thing I was imagining is at my parents house now and they just like grab me and take me without saying anything oh my gosh I'm freaking myself out just talking about it but those are the things that go through my mind what about you <laughs> I'm sorry I don't know I just I have the weirdest things that run through my mind but thank you for listening to me. Let's get into the case. So now this case is about the Browning family. There are three kids in the Browning family and a mom and dad. 
So the mom's dad, mom's dad, the dad's name is John and he's 45. He is a lawyer and his mom, his name is Tamara. She's 44 and she did property management. So like a power couple, essentially, like they're making good money. They have a good life. And then there's Nick, who is 15 and he has two younger brothers, Gregory and Ben. Gregory's 13 and Benjamin is 11. So it was February 2nd, 2008 on a Saturday in, I'm going to say, Cokieville, Maryland. Um, Excuse me, Nick Browning was hanging out with his other three friends, Ryan Fingal, Taylor, this is impossible, to Texbury. You know what? Just call him Taylor. It's fine. Uh, Alexander Smith. And then there was Nick, of course. So they were all at Ryan's house, and Ryan's house is about half a mile away from Nick, so they're like all close-knit friends. They were hanging out um, that Friday night, and they just kind of like watched video games, watched video games. My gosh, what is wrong with me? They watched movies and played video games, and they were up pretty late. Ryan's uh, parents actually had friends over too, so it was just like scattered about the house. The The parents' friends were like in the guest room. So Ryan's friends had to kind of just find wherever to sleep. I think one of his friends went to sleep in one of Ryan's brother's rooms because he was gone. And then two other boys like went downstairs or something. I don't know. They were all really good friends and they've been friends for a while. So they felt pretty comfortable in Ryan's house. So they were up pretty late. They finally went to bed. Then the next morning they all got up, they ate, and Nick was expecting to get a call from his mom. Sorry, I just shifted in the couch. Oh, Speaking of, guys, I'm not on the bed anymore. I have my own room for podcasting, so I hope it doesn't sound different. Hopefully it sounds good. I tried to, like, insulate it or whatever so it wouldn't sound weird, but here we are, guys. Sorry. I keep getting sidetracked. Wow. Back to the story. (laughs) So, Ryan, or excuse me, Nick was expecting a phone call from his mom because he was supposed to go home and clean up because the guys were going to go and like party at his house or something like that after they went like and hung out. So Ryan was waiting for a phone call and he never got it. I keep saying Ryan, oh my gosh, it's Nick, 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 Nick. So Nick never got that phone call and he was just like, whatever, screw it. He's a 15 year old boy, of course. I can definitely like see this happening. I was a good kid and I never did anything stupid like that, but I can, I've heard stories, you know, like I've heard stories about cool kids who do whatever they want. <laughs> um, so they, they went to the mall, they hung out for a while, and Nick actually maybe felt remorseful or something, so he called his mom, and she actually didn't pick up, and he was like, oh, that's that's kind of strange, but whatever, I, I'm, I'm free, I don't have to go clean, so whatever. And eventually they finished up at the mall, and Mr. Pat, he came up and picked him up, and I think Mr. Pat is Ryan's parent, Ryan's dad. So he picked him up from the mall and brought him to Nick's house and they all kind of get out of the car and Nick's walking a little bit quicker. He gets in through the garage door and he walks into the living room and unfortunately he sees his dad dead on the couch. So all the boys walk in. Alex and Ryan just completely froze. But Taylor ran outside to stop Mr. Pat and he was like, dude, you got called 911 now. Well, Nick is actually going through the house and he's looking for his mom and his two brothers. And he did find his entire family. 
So once again, dad, dad's name is John. He's, he was 45. He was shot in the couch. Then Tamara, she was in bed. She was shot twice. She was 44 and she was in her room. And his two brothers, Gregory and Benjamin, 13 and 11, were shot in their sleep in their beds as well. Everyone got a headshot. So it's very, very, very sad. Horrible, actually. And they're so young. How could you do that to a young person? Like, how could you do that, period? But how could you even think about doing that to someone who's so young? So right away, the boys were brought into the interrogation room to talk about what they knew. And this is actually a pretty short one, guys. So sorry about that. But they were brought into the police right away. And obviously the investigator or the detective wanted to know what happened that night, what was going on. So they told them. They said that they all started at Ryan's house that night. They were just kind of hanging out, watching TV, movies, playing video games, nothing too crazy. And remember, Nick's house was about half mile away from Ryan's. And Ryan and Taylor actually went upstairs, like I said, Ryan slept in his bed, Taylor slept in Ryan's brother's bed, and Alexander and Nick went downstairs. Ryan had said that Nick left the house to get his car because they were going to go for a ride, even though Nick was underage. And actually, Taylor knew about this as well. And it was 1230. Eventually, the boys at home fell asleep. They kind of knew what was going to happen, so they told Nick to call them to wake him up once he got the car. And it was probably like a slow process, I would imagine. You know, the car is in the driveway, I would assume. And you don't want to wake up your parents to let them know that their underage kid is going to go for a ride. So I would imagine it's kind of a longer process. Well, five hours later, nothing from Nick. So Alex called him, Alexander called him at 5 a.m. And he was like, hey, dude, what's the happy haps? What's going on? And he's like, oh... I got in the car, but the keys weren't in the car, so I was waiting for the lights to turn off, and then I fell asleep in the car. So he's like, okay, like just come back, I guess. So Nick came back, and everyone went to bed. And then after a while, everyone woke up. Pretty simple. They ate lunch, and that's kind of where the story started. Nick was waiting for a phone call from his mom. Never got it, so they went to the mall. Nick had been saying how weird it was that his mom didn't call him. So he called his mom and didn't get the pickup. So he was kind of worried about that. Well, then all of a sudden he's just walking around with his friends and he reaches into his pocket and he finds the keys. And he kind of makes just like a quick little joke about it. Like, oh, I guess I had the keys the whole time. No one really thought about that. But Nick had just kind of been worried about it. And eventually Mr. Pat took them home and... Nick went to the garage door, and that's when everything happened. So during this interrogation, first off, the police can tell something's missing. Something's going on. But he lets them tell the story first. And actually, they didn't even tell the police officer right away that he left. They left that part out. Because I'm assuming they know that that looks bad for Nick, and they don't think that Nick could ever do something like that, so they left it out. And during this whole thing... The police are obviously going through the crime scene, seeing what's going on, and they found that the mom's jewelry box was kind of like open and kind of like shuffled through, and the Xbox and Wii at their house was 
not in the normal place. So normally it's like next to a TV. I think it was like on the pool table or something like that. So it looks like it was staged, essentially. It doesn't like that stuff wasn't taken. It was just like touched. So I don't know. There's a couple like different ways I can look at it. Either they were going to rob the place and then someone got like too jumpy and shot the person and so they left everything and ran or it's completely staged. That's two ways that I can look at it. So the investigator is in the room with all the boys. Well, he individually interrogates them and he's like, dude, something stinks and it's not the chili. (laughs) Funny. (laughs) But he's like, okay, well, why don't you tell me about Nick's relationship with his dad? And all the boys were like, you know, I don't know. Eventually they say that Nick's relationship with his dad was not the best. Um, He was kind of hard on Nick and Nick did not enjoy the criticism from his dad. Um, Nick had been in trouble before for drinking, but he was a good student. He actually got pretty good grades and he was on the golf team. Apparently he didn't get along with his brothers though. And his mom was a little bit of a drinker. And like I said, his dad was hard on him. And he would just kind of say, he would call him poor names that you shouldn't call your child, in my opinion. But they said like, it wasn't too bad. And the investigator asked if they saw anything that day or if the dad ever hit him. And they were like, no, everything seemed normal. So... The investigator, I think he would like bounce from room to room talking to these boys. He's like, well, I just want you to know you have to be honest with me. You have to let me know what's actually going on because let's just say Taylor is telling me something different and he's talking to Ryan or something like that. So he kind of used each boy's story to get the other boy to be honest. And eventually he found out The investigator found out that first off, the boy's relationship, Brian, Nick's relationship, gosh, Nick's relationship with his dad wasn't the best. And also he left that night. And also that he had the keys in his pocket when they were at the mall, even though he said that he couldn't find the keys. Oh, and there was also this one little tiny thing that he had joked about killing his family to get his father's money before getting onto the school bus. You know, casual things you talk to about your friends while you wait for your ride to school. No big deal. But of course, everyone thought that he was kidding. So maybe that's why they didn't kind of bring that up until later. But eventually, one by one, all of his friends told the truth. And I think even his friends were like, huh, putting the pieces together thinking, okay, this is not looking good for my friend and I didn't think he could do this. But now I think maybe he could. I think that's why they were so slow to be honest, but eventually they kind of saw, they saw it in the light of day, essentially. And all the boys were super nervous in the interrogation room and they tried to be cool, but you could just tell that they were super nervous. Everyone except Nick. So Nick seemed a lot more mature, oddly enough, than all the other boys. And he was not incriminating himself. He was being really cool during the investigation, kind of like being friendly, being super casual about it, which is not how you'd want to act, in my opinion. He actually fell asleep, and that looks really bad, too. 
Like if your parents and brothers had just been murdered, you would be like panicking, trying to figure out what happened. But it almost seems like he knows what happens happened and he's also kind of getting away with it. So that's what he's thinking, even though in reality, the detectives know exactly what happened and they're just trying to kind of get him to confess essentially by using psychology. So like mirroring, getting closer to him, either being soothing or very intense when the certain moments come. So they did a very good job. This was a really, really, really interesting interrogation to watch just to see how they would just use different methods of psychology to get him to crack. And this actually took a long time. So like I said, one by one, all the boys told the truth and they were out of there in an hour and a half, probably, roughly. But obviously not Nick. So Nick had stayed and the interrogator brought in one other guy. And to be honest, I wasn't really a big fan of the other guy. I think he was more of like a hard cop to be more intense, but he didn't have like solid things to say. It was more like he would say like, we know you did it. So confess, there's evidence. And Nick's like, well, what evidence? And he's like, I've been doing this for 10 years. I have a gut instinct. And it's like, that doesn't matter. You need evidence, you know? And I'm sure Nick knew that because Nick just seemed so mature and like just had so much clarity. So in my opinion, I feel like he kind of already thought all these things out and knew what he was going to say. Plus, he was left alone a lot, so I'm sure he had time to think. The second investigator even brought a picture of his whole family to kind of get a reaction to see what it did, but it really didn't do anything. And in my opinion, like maybe it worked for like the bad cop and made the other cop seem more trusting and like he could tell more of his story to him. So maybe it helped in that way. But I just felt like what he was saying just wasn't great, really. But that's just me. So eventually he left and the good cop, quote unquote, stayed. And he was like, you did it. Like, it just doesn't make sense. All the other boys, they, they told me what happened. We know you did it. We know you did it. And he just kept saying, it doesn't make sense, though. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I could get whatever I wanted. It was fine. Like, yeah, my dad's relationship and I, we didn't, we weren't great, but it was fine. I could do whatever I want. I would get in trouble, but it wouldn't last long. I could just leave. But eventually, at 1.05 a.m. on Sunday, he was, he cracked, confessed, and was arrested. So it took a little bit more than three hours to get everything, the whole story, finally out of him, like including the probing. But he said that he would get angry with his dad and sometimes his dad would actually hit him and would make him feel bad and worthless and would call him poor names. So that night, that Friday night, he actually got upset and, or excuse me, John, Nick's dad, got upset with Nick because he didn't tell him when to turn right away. So he went a little too far and had to make a sharp turn. And and this is Nick's story. We don't actually know what happened and unfortunately... Nick took that opportunity away to give John's story. So we, this is just what Nick says. So Nick's dad was upset with him when he dropped him off. He hung out with his friends until late. And then finally, he snuck out of the house and went into his parents' house. And he saw his dad's gun just sitting out on the workbench. So he grabbed it and went into the living room where his dad was sleeping. And Nick said that for 30 minutes, he brought up the gun and put it down. He brought up the gun and put it down until eventually... 
he unfortunately shot his dad. And he said that he just sat on the couch and waited because he assumed everyone was going to rush down, but nothing ever happened. And he said he got scared, so he went up and he shot his mom twice. And then he went to his brother's rooms and he shot each of his brother because he didn't want them to testify against him to make him seem guilty about all the fights that he had between him and his with his dad. So for completely selfish reasons, he killed his whole family. And the stupid thing is, is that his family didn't witness anything. So he could have just left them. He could have let them live their lives, but he didn't do that. So he's explaining this to the investigator and he says that after the he killed his family, he tried to stage the robbery. But obviously it was super late that night at that point and he wasn't really thinking clearly. So he just kind of like did a couple things here and there like um, the jewelry box, the Wii, the Xbox, but he didn't actually take anything, just rearranged it. And then he went through the back door and I'm assuming he took his time. Maybe he did sleep for a little bit because he was gone for five hours. So I don't know if this is the true story, if other things happened, or maybe he was just kind of thinking about what happens if I get caught? What do I say? How do I act? Those kinds of things. But like I said, the, he was extremely mature. The, the things he was saying back to the investigators, he was saying, um, well, the investigators were saying, just tell us why you did it. Obviously, it was for the um, insurance money, but what else? What else was there? And Nick was saying, like, if I tell you why I did it, what or why it's not going to lessen my sentence if I tell you, if I gave you a reason. There we go. If I gave you a reason. Because he wasn't saying he did it at this point. So it was just very mature things to say for a 15-year-old. And I've thought this for a long time, but I truly think that killing someone, and I'm, this might be a very obvious statement, but I truly think that killing someone just changes you internally. And the more you kill, the worse it gets. It just creates like this monster. And it's the monster that Ted Bundy was, how he was just crazy-eyed, just had to kill like an addiction kind of thing. Because obviously we were never meant to kill anyone. So it just it's this evil thing that happens to you when you do kill someone. And I think that's why Nick came off so mature. But that's just my two cents. So like I said, he left through the back door at some point. He threw the gun out on his walk in like a bush on like, I think it was First Street or something like that. He actually told the detectives that because that really helps with the investigation, getting like solid proof like, he said the gun was here and here it was. Later on, he actually said that he decided to kill his parents on the walk home from a friend's house. I never found out when or at what point, but he said, I just want to have dinner alone without being backhanded or criticized. And he claimed that he was in kind of like a trance when he was doing it. So it's it's really hard to know exactly what was going through his mind, if it was premeditated, if it was just like offhand. I really don't think that it was the spur of the moment. I really do think it was premeditated, but that's just me. So this was on Sunday that he confessed. The next Saturday was the funeral um, for Nick's parents and his siblings. And he was in prison for it. He couldn't go. And I'm sure people didn't want him to go. And it was also Nick's 16th birthday. He spent in prison while his family's funeral was happening.
So just absolutely horrible. The family also was just so loved by the community that there were stuffed animals and flowers and balloons on the steps of their home just constantly after the murder. And they also held vigils where hundreds of people came. So that just shows that he took away some really amazing people. And those two poor little boys, just breaks my heart to think about that he could have taken their whole future away. It's just so sad. And the sick thing is that two days prior to the sentencing, he was on the phone with someone and apparently he doesn't know that they record everything that you do in prison. But he made a joke saying that if you hear um, about a breakout in Maryland in a year, just know that it's me. He made the joke about breaking out of prison two days prior to the conviction. So two days after the call, he was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences, meaning that he will get a chance to be paroled in 23 years on good behavior. So that's 2031. That's less than 10 years away, guys. <laughs> Don't like that. But those chances are very, very, very slim because in Maryland, the governor has to approve of the parole, and that have, hasn't happened since 1994. So during the conviction, he was too overwhelmed with emotions, crying, to actually apologize. So his attorney read his statement, and all he said, I think this is all he said, I only found this part, this one part, but it said, I so badly want to take away your pain. So he was in tears and too overwhelmed to cry during the conviction, but two days prior, he could make a joke about breaking out of prison. Super classy. So now Nick is in prison, obviously. He's in Maryland, and part of his family felt like he he did do it. And I think some of them didn't think he did, but that's not important. They, they wanted him to have another chance, and they wanted him to go to a prison that also offered therapy, but that didn't happen. And then on the other side, I think it was his sister, his dad's sister, who was like, screw this kid, like, get him out of me, get him out of my face, I never want to see him again. So the family is very torn about the conviction, but now Nick is writing blog posts for the prison, from what I could see. He's reading constantly, and he actually has some, like, dating profiles, so that's kind of weird. I never understood that. Like, why would you seek someone in prison? Because I can't imagine they're able to reach out to other people. But that's his life, and I don't think that he's getting out anytime soon. So that's the very tragic story of the Browning family. I'm sorry it was short this week, but I just felt like this was a really important one to tell and just let the people know about the Browning family and their poor story but they're a good family and they were loved by the community and that's all that matters well thanks for listening if you made it this far I really appreciate it if you have any case suggestions or if you have a story of your own you want to talk about it doesn't have to be true crime it can be like weird spooky funny whatever I just want to get an email from you guys hear from somebody that'd be cool uh, ydwkpodcast at gmail.com I will post pictures of the case on Instagram and Facebook. That's YDWK Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And I think that's everything because I don't have a Twitter. Once again, thanks for listening. Enjoy your Halloween. Do something spooky, but be safe. 
Bye-bye.